0: Country Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W Shaw, Burlington Business Park, Tillamore. Your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. Worshaw.ie.
1: Now, good evening and welcome to Country Life here on Midlands 103. It's MJ Cleary with you until 8pm, bringing you the latest from the Midlands and further afield from the worlds of agriculture, food and agribusiness. Now, thank you all for joining me this evening. And we start with the weather each week here on the programme. Hard to believe that yesterday was the longest day of the year. So unfortunately, one thing we cannot slow down is time. But uh, I I really didn't realise, 21st of June yesterday, and uh, what a quick month June was. Very heavy weather the last few days. And uh, no harm, considering grass is becoming tight on farms across the midlands we're in the middle of that little zone of just waiting for after grass and uh, also coming to the end of grazing rotation so uh, rain is given for the weekend and good temperatures also so hopefully gives a good burst of growth now onto this evening's program and we will be talking about the positive farmers conference it's back this year it's a really well-known dairy event and it takes place every year and it's occurring in cork on the 28th and 29th of june Uh, There's a host of speakers and we will find out all about it a little later in the hour. Areas such as what is the right stocking rate in today's farming environment? Uh, that's one that will be discussed, it's a very interesting one, I think. And another that takes my eye is uh, speaking to dairy farmers from as far away as Missouri and Tasmania. Uh, we have Mike Murphy uh, to speak to us about that. And Mike is a, a, a member of a, a global business, they have dairy enterprises all over the world, uh, including New Zealand, Missouri, Oregon. Uh, milking over 25,000 cows altogether between all of the different enterprises. A hugely interesting man and he's going to be speaking to us towards the end of the hour. Uh, staying on the topic of dairying, uh, coincidentally, uh, Mike Brady, ag consultant, uh, he wrote a very interesting article on the farming Indo yesterday. He took a trip to Scotland last week Uh, to compare the Irish and the British dairy systems. So it's a country that's really, really close, very similar climate, but the dairy farming is quite different. Uh, One of the real big ones that caught my eye on it was the uh, amount of cows in Ireland. It's in a whole pile dissimilar to the amount of cows in Britain, uh, given the differing sizes of the country. Uh, We'll hear a little uh, about how they farm over there and uh, how much money they're making from their dairying enterprises uh, a little bit later when we chat to Mike. Uh, negotiations are ongoing at the moment as to what our carbon target will be in agriculture for the next number of years so this is a really important period in Irish agriculture and this will determine how we farm in relation to stocking rates, fertilizer usage, diesel consumption, uh, all of these important integral parts of uh, commercial farming for the next number of years. So obviously farming wants as big a piece of the pie as possible, but other industries are also vying for their share. And with carbon budgets now really coming under scrutiny, the belt will be tightened more than ever. Paul O'Brien from the IFA will join me to chat about where negotiations are at in a moment. Now, as always, text the show with comments, thoughts or questions to 083 3010103. Be happy to put in to our listeners, or to our guests, I should say, this evening. Now, to start this evening's programme, we are going to be talking about the Agri-Environment Programme, which has just been given a name. It's called ACRES, and uh, also the Fodder Support Scheme has just been launched this week as well, so we're going to get details on those from Tim Farrell here now from the ICSA. Tim, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
2: Good evening, Angela.
1: Uh, So, Tim, we will talk about acres in a moment, but first, the fodder support scheme. So, farmers are very interested in this. It was uh, something that was announced a few months back, but it is coming into force now. Uh, Just a little bit of background now, Tim, what what, what exactly is this fodder support scheme and how can farmers access it?
2: Yeah, well, the fodder support scheme was announced by the Minister and the Department earlier in the year. And the thinking behind it is just to avert uh, a fodder crisis, towards the end later on in the in, in the coming winter because of the unrest between Russia and Ukraine and the war in Ukraine at the moment. So uh, you're right, like it was o- opened up last week and uh, it's, it's, it's very welcome because uh, we and ICSA put forward a case looking for a 2000 um, grant from the department for, for fertilizer but it didn't materialize but this is next best thing. And it's important that all farmers that are eligible apply for it. And in order to be eligible, you will have to have submitted uh, your 22 BPS application online. If you haven't done that, you won't be eligible for it, mm-hmm. you know. So so that's, that's the important thing. And farmers can actually apply for the scheme themselves. Uh, there's two ways they can apply. They can apply online through AgFood like, or they can through their... Agri-Advisor, either way. Now, the applications have to be in before the Tuesday, the 2nd of August. So you have until Tuesday, the 2nd of August to apply for the scheme. And um, it's €100 per hectare, up to a maximum of 10 hectares of either silage or hay uh, that you save. Now, the usual terms and conditions apply with the scheme. But one of the things, you're going to have the sort of standard 5%, uh, you know, on-farm inspection. And then they also say in the scheme, this 3% will be an administrative check. And what they mean by that is, um, you'll have to either produce receipts from your agri- and con- agri-contractor or, you know, for mobile or whatever you do. Mm-hmm. And then in relation to... Um, if you if, if if you have your own means of doing it, you'll have to photograph it with with your geotagging um, GPS. So there are things that farmers should be mindful of, but it's a welcome. It's a it's it, it's it's definitely welcome. I mean, we all know with the high input costs where we're at at the moment, you know. So.
1: And just th- th- uh, just Tim, th- th- the question on if you if you're doing the work yourself uh, is. Uh, to take a photograph, is that um, taking a photograph of your, your kind of basic payment uh, image? Is it to show where your silage ground is or is it actually taking a physical photo of, of the fields you mowed?
2: It will be taking a physical uh, photograph of the field you mowed okay. or the area you mowed, you know. Yeah. Now, it's up to a maximum of 10 hectares. Obviously, if you harvest less than that, it's pro rata, so you're 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 still entitled to claim anything up to he- up to 10 hectares. Yeah, it's So right. it's, it's only seven hectares, like you're still entitled to make an application and submit
1: in the usual way, you know. Yeah, 100%. Tim, and uh, as you say, look, uh, it is uh, badly wanted on a year like this with fertilizer prices where they are. Uh, also, uh, in relation to um, the new uh, rep scheme, uh, it's after getting a name. It was called a number of different things, but now it's called the Agri Climate rural environmental scheme so it's called ACRES uh, and now we have uh, an opening date for that as well and we have I suppose some more details not too much but it's opening up on the 1st of August 2022 uh, are we happy with this scheme Tim or what's our thought process on it?
2: Well really to be honest with MJ in ICSA we're, we're not happy with the scheme because the scheme is being sold I mean to listen to some of the headlines today the scheme is being sold as a 10,000 euro scheme well, to be honest with you, it's far from that, MJ. About thirty thousand farmers will qualify for an average payment of five thousand euro. Now, there are, there are a number there are a number of questions still remain unanswered in relation to the scheme. Uh, you're right. The scheme opens in in August, and there's going to be two tranches of applications. Obviously, they're not going to take them; but they can't handle them all together. So, there's going to be one and two phases for 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 to admit people to the scheme. But the biggest problem with the scheme that we see is they're talking about a maximum payment of 5000 for 30,000 farmers. Now, it's unclear as to how much money a farmer is going to have to spend on, you know, uh, an advisor for for a a plan for the scheme. Uh, A lot of the scheme is going to be, uh, we'd say, is going to be on, on... what do you call it? It's going to be a a, a based a, a scheme. This for you have to produce results. Mm-hmm. So for the duration of the five years, I mean, is there going to be a cost per annum. Somebody is going to have to verify what a farmer is doing in relation to in relation to the scheme, because it's not a scheme for. It's a five-year scheme in duration, but the scheme can vary. Uh, you know your your task can vary from year to year. Yeah, so there, uh, needs, there
1: needs to be a bit more uh, detail on it before. And I I presume him look we're twenty second of June now, uh one August is gonna be the closing date. So really over the course of the next maybe two Three weeks, you're going to find out a lot more about it, and the real push on it is going to be really in the month of July. But no harm for uh, farmers to contact their agri advisor on it now and just maybe book a, a, an appointment in the next couple of weeks. Uh, it, we always want more money, Tim. I suppose is, is is the reality of it. I know they're saying there are annual payments of between seven three and ten and a half. Um, but uh, from our chat earlier on, that ten thousand payment—that's really if you're only in uh, in a lot of uh, you know if you, a lot of cer- um, certain circumstances to get up to that kind of money.
2: Yeah, well, well, they have. You see, they have what's what's called cooperative projects, and they're they're in certain zones, like in the eight of those zones in the country. And I mean, you're talking about the border in and you know, the southeast to the Hen Harrier. These are all sort of specially designated areas. So, you know, there's only going to be a limited number of farmers that, that, that can qualify for that. Yeah, and, and I mean, they're talking then about a seven and a half, but that. The difference between five and the seven and a half is, you have to have um, special uh, herbs and orchards on your land in order to qualify. And the number of farms that will have those qualifying grasses and her- herbs are going to be very, very few. So unless, and they're something that cannot be planted, you cannot introduce them. They're either on your farm or they're not. As, you know, as, as 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 a natural sort of. Um,
1: yeah, they're, yeah they're, either, they're, either, they're either there or not as you say so it's not something you're going to be able to plant this year and no, then, then up, no. up your up your payment uh, Tim on that we, we'll leave it there because I'm just running out of time uh, but uh, look the, the overview is that the uh, the siler scheme is uh, is available and up and running uh, 100 euro per he- uh, hectare I should say for 10 hectares and uh, the acre scheme is now up and running as well so go and chat to your agri-advisor on it Yeah. and uh, that's um, that's the, the news flash on that side of things yeah, yep. Tim I'm going to okay. say many many thanks for joining me on the Program this evening, and uh, we will speak to you again here in the uh, in the future.
2: You're welcome, MJ. Thank you very much,
1: uh, Tim Farrell there from the ICSA And look, important to hear that about the payments as well. You do see these headlines on uh, uh, different publications saying 10,000 uh, per farmer available. But uh, as Tim said, look, you're, you're talking. To, you know, if you have a hen harrier on your farm, the amount of people that have that is uh, is few and far between. So I'd say, as Tim said, five thousand, probably five six thousand, when you go through it, and obviously each farmer will be different depending on the different areas you pick and what you're going to do and what environment environmental measures you're going to take uh but just to bear that in mind and obviously it needs to be worthwhile as well uh, we said here in the program a few weeks back very hard to see any of the large-scale dairy farmers go for that scheme uh with payments at uh, at that level just wouldn't, wouldn't be worth the time invested so more for the uh, lowly stocked uh, uh beef and sheep farmer i would imagine now, coming up after the break, we're going to stay on the topic of the environment because the agricultural emissions target is going to be set in the next couple of weeks and this is going to have a huge, huge consequence for how we farm over the course of the next six, seven, eight years. Paul O'Brien from the IFA will join us, so stay tuned for that. Country
0: Life on Midlands 103. Brought to you by W. Orshaw Burlington Business Park, Tullamore, Your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands. W.
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. We are moving on to agri-emissions, and we have Paul O'Brien, the Environment Chair from the IFA, on the line. Paul, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
0: You're welcome, MJ. Uh,
1: So, Paul, front page of the Farming Indo yesterday led with agricultural emissions target to be set within weeks. Uh, Can you give us a little bit of background on this, Paul, and where we're at, please?
0: Okay, well, look, MJ. I suppose you know you're all going to be very aware of the climate ambition of the government is a 51% reduction of greenhouse gas emissions by 2030. Um, so this time last year, the Climate Action and Low Carbon Development Bill was passed in the Dole, which really did set up this kind of figure in law. So by the time we get to 2030, as a nation, we will have to have a reduction in our greenhouse gas emissions by 51%.
1: It's a huge, so, huge figure Paul. isn't it?
0: It's a massive figure. And effectively where we are, um, based on 2018, is our kind of a baseline figure. So 2018, all of our figures are going to be generated from that. So all different aspects of industry, like obviously energy is one part, transport, buildings, industry, and agriculture. We will, we've all been given a range of figures that we are in this range. So in other words, agriculture has been set a target of a reduction of, you know, 5 to 7 megatons or, sorry, million tons of CO2 equivalent, which is at the moment, which is about 22 to a 30% reduction on our 2018 figures. Um, And I suppose the question is, MJ, what's that going to look like? How are we going to achieve that? And ultimately, you know, have we still got the ability as farmers to still keep growing our businesses as a result of these very, very challenging figures that will be attributed to agriculture? As you say, maybe in the next number of weeks.
1: And, uh, Paul, when, when we see that ban, so that 22 to 30% is... Uh is where we're at in agriculture. So obviously, uh, farmers would like that to be 22% as opposed to 30% because uh, there's a there's a big gap there. Uh, at the moment, uh, how exactly is this working? Uh, the IFA, I presume, are in lobbying the government, the other farm organisations. Uh, is that it? Is it sitting down at a table and just trying to put forward your best case that we need X amount of carbon to produce X amount of food and uh, you're just trying to do a bit of horse trading and get as much as you can? Is that the way it's working? And we've just lost Paul there for a moment. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to go to a little musical interlude. And uh, we will be back with Paul in about uh, two or three minutes. So just sit back and uh, enjoy a little song for a second. And you're very welcome back to Country Life. little musical interlude there. We just had a problem on the line with uh, Paul O'Brien from the IFA. But we have Paul back now. Paul, uh, just the question I was asking you just before that was, uh, there is uh, an emissions target Uh, to drop agriculture in between 22 and 30%. And uh, there's a big difference between 22% and 30%. So I'm wondering, uh, how is this working at the moment? Uh, The likes of yourselves are negotiating with the government to try and get as much as we can into the agriculture bag. Is that it?
0: Well, I think, M.J., the problem that we have is is that, you know, obviously 22% is going to be very, very difficult for us to achieve, but 30% is going to be very, very serious. Like, how can we reduce... Um, and keep maintaining our vibrant agriculture going with a 30% drop. And just to kind of give you a bit of a figure, a 22% drop really looks like a 10,000 people who are going to have to be lost from the industry. If it gets to 30%, that's looking like over 50. You know, That was a figure that was released by KPMG last November on an analysis that was done by the Farmers' Journal.
1: Uh, startling, uh, Paul, isn't it? Like at the end of the day, uh, you'll have, you know, things like the fashion industry are producing, you know, fast fashion and people are just buying clothes, throwing them away. Uh, they're not a necessity. Uh, whereas agriculture is producing food, which people need to live. Uh, you kind of have to scratch your head here a little bit. People are going, you know, flying around the world to places they don't need to go uh, yet. Uh, you're going to be penalised for producing uh, nutritious food. It's a, it's a hard one. And uh, we are just gone again with Paul, obviously just a problem with Paul's line there, but uh, the um, the train of thought I'm having there is just something that comes to my mind on it. Uh, This trading that's going on at the moment has to be finalised within the next two to three weeks, so the way it's working is you have all your different industries like aviation, transport, uh, agriculture, Uh, they are all trying to get as much as they can. Uh, Agriculture is in between 22 and uh, 30%, as we said. Uh, we're trying to negotiate down for 22%. And uh, this is going to be set in stone then in the next few weeks. And uh, it's going to become legislation. And uh, we're going to see very differing landscape in the next two to three years in relation to stocking rates, fertilizer usage, and it's something we're going to be talking to uh, Mike Murphy on uh, in relation to the Positive Farmers Conference towards the end of the hour, because really their angle on the conference this year is all about uh, grass-based systems, cutting input costs, and also really looking at your stocking rate, because they kind of know what's coming in the future and uh, we're going to be talking about that a little bit later and just apologies there on the line with Paul this evening just uh, wasn't quite happening first. us uh, coming up after the break we're talking uh, about uh, dairying in Britain uh, Scotland in particular Mike Brady from the Brady Group is on with us he was over there last week on a, a busman's holiday and uh, some very interesting facts about dairy farming in Scotland so stay tuned for that
0: Country Life with MJ Cleary on Midlands 183
1: and you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103 now dairying is what we're talking about uh, not Irish daring, though uh, Daring in uh, Britain or uh, Scotland to be in particular uh, Mike Brady from the Brady Group was over there a couple of weeks back and uh, Mike's going to give us all the details now Mike many thanks for taking my call this evening
3: thanks MJ great to be back on with you
1: again uh, more than welcome Mike and uh, look we'll, we'll, we'll get into it uh, give us a bit of background where exactly were you and what, what was the trip you were on
3: um Background would be, I'm a Nuffield Scholar, if you've heard of a Nuffield Scholarship. Mm -hmm. Um, Nuffield Scholarship is known as an agricultural um, collaborative people around the world, Um, all with an interest in agriculture. There's a UK dairy group, which are all Nuffield Scholars. And um, myself and David Kerr there from County Leash, uh, we were on their group there a couple of years ago. And... We've been kind of inductive into the group. We, we actually did a tour for them here in 2018 and took them around some dairy farms and took them to Moore Park and UCD at the time. And uh, they invite us back to their annual. They have a trip every year. Where they, you know, it's like a discussion group going mm-hmm. on, three or four farms. And they invite us back every year. And we went to Dumfries in Scotland this year.
1: And uh, the, the system over there, before we talk about the, the numbers and uh, what they're producing, but uh, obviously everyone's familiar with the Irish grass-based system, uh, rotational grazing, paddocks out, cows out as long as possible. Uh, wh- what's the system over, over, over in that part of the world?
3: Yeah, it's interesting. I suppose I, I have a bit more background. Uh, from My first job was as a dairying advisor in the UK back in the late 80s. I worked for their equivalent at Chagas, which was called... Um, Adas at the time, um, and so I got my first taste of dairying in the UK uh, straight out of college for three years back in the eighties. And yes, the herds were bigger. Was the first thing. They're still bigger, even though we're catching up. Um, but they've gone down effectively over the last twenty-five years down the confinement dairying route. A lot of the cows are indoors, high output, high input, high output cows.
1: And uh, it's interesting because, like, they have a, a very good uh, ability to grow grass over in the UK. No more, no more than ourselves. Have they gone down that route just for to scale up these enterprises and to staff them and just make it easier? Or what's what's their thinking?
3: No, I think um, I, I suppose the big thing was Margaret Thatcher was in power back in uh, when I was in the UK, and it, for those that can remember, Margaret Thatcher was the queen of capitalism and she was privatizing a lot of state bodies. She's privatized the advisory service, the equivalent of Chagas in the UK at the time. And to be honest, that's when I was there. We were actually charging for advice at the time. And four or five years later, she sold it off and told me it was sold off, right? So basically, British dairy farmers have been rudderless for the past 25 or 30 years. So they basically have to get off their tod and look around the world and see where they would produce milk, or how they would produce milk. A lot of them have followed the, the confinement system, but of late, over the past... Like, dairying has been very topsy-turvy in the UK, a lot more like, you say, pig production here, where you have some very good years, some very bad years, um, and there are various reasons for that. But a number of British dairy farmers now are turning to, to grass-based um, systems, um particularly you know up the what i would say the western side of britain you know coming from devon and cornwall way up through wales up through northumberland and up to the south of scotland up in Dumfries so we are there's a lot of grass-based units there and these lads come over they go to the grassland conference here they go to the positive farmers conference they get trips to moore park they come over to discussion groups they take their advice from here and to be honest you know.
1: And uh, when we're talking then about the, the British dairy farmers, so look, we were looking at confinement, now we are looking at grass, so that, that, that's where they're at at the moment. Uh, the, the big success story because of Irish dairying is that of the co-op model, uh, and there's no surprise in that. Uh, however, uh, what's the model over in the, in the UK? Uh, who, who buys the milk?
3: Yeah, the, the, this is the big difference, right, between here and the UK. Like, um, it, it, it's primarily private processors. Right? Uh, I think n- uh, 90 odd percent of the make are produced by nine different processors, but the majority of them are, 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 are large privately owned businesses. Some of them are huge, like, they're like the Lactalus and those. They're, they're international companies, huge companies. Like if you look at the way Glombier and Kerry have gone here, like, like I suppose Glambia are an international um, cheese maker. Right? Kerry have gone off into food ingredients which has nothing to do with milk production afterwards, you know. They've become international businesses, which, you know, are far removed from the local co-op ethos. And basically, you have executives inside those businesses whose salaries are based on bonuses. And the bigger the profit, the lower the price to pay for milk. And that's what has happened in the UK over the years. So, like, you've had scenarios in the UK over the years where a processor literally would go broke you wouldn't get your milk check at the end of the month, or even maybe your milk might be collected at the end of the week. Like that, has, that hasn't happened often, but it has happened in the UK. Well, now, I've never, ever heard of that happening here in this country. Even in the frost and snow, the milk is always picked up, you know?
1: And what sort of money are they getting for milk over there at the moment, Mike?
3: i tell you, when you convert it back into euros, they're heading up to where we are, up, up, up into the late 40s and early 50s. They're laughing at the moment. It's the first time I've come across dairy farmers in the republic in the north of ireland in scotland Wales, and england and they were all singing mm. you know the, i know input prices have gone up but to be fair milk prices have stayed ahead of it so far and that has happened in the uk as well to be fair and now some contracts are under pressure there like whereas it's a rising like, well, there are some people here who are tied into um, fixed milk schemes who've had trouble but they're in the minority there's been some in the UK. Amazingly enough, do you know who's actually struggling in the UK at the moment? Are the organic producers, Because so the cost of their imp- inputs have risen higher, and the differential between organic milk and, um, and conventional milk in in the supermarket isn't returning enough for them to, mm. to 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 make a big enough profit. I actually spoke to one organic farmer, organic for 25 years, making 500 cows on Somerset, and he's seriously considering a. a heading back to conventional dairy
1: mm, very interesting And the numbers like you have a little table here on the article and yeah. this is this is hugely interesting so number of dairy cows firstly uh 1.65 million in ireland and uh, I suppose if someone was going to guess, they could treble it or quadruple it for the UK, but that's not the case. 1.85 million cows in Ireland, so not too dissimilar, 200,000 cows in the difference, but the big one being the amount of milk produced, 8.5 billion litres in Ireland and 15.3 billion litres in the UK from 200,000 more cows, nearly double the milk. So uh, what's the magic magic secret uh, over in the UK, Mike?
3: Well, that's the confinement system. You know, like their average yield is somewhere in the region of eight thousand two hundred liters a cow, whereas we're about five and a half thousand liters. You know, that that's the difference. Um like I was on one herd now above on Dumfries, fifteen hundred and fifty cows inside three hundred and sixty five days a year. He was selling nearly seventeen million liters of milk, which is about eleven and a half thousand liters per cow.
1: Wow. Uh, Does it go against the the confinement system then? I have uh, Mike Murphy on after you from the Positive uh, Farmers Conference and uh, no no, no man knows more about the confinement system globally I'd say Uh, and we're looking at this here so look, we're, we're doing our best, we're working with the environment, we're working with nature, we're working with the cycle of, of grass growth, and here we are at 5,500 litres. Here's people, you know, a couple of hundred miles away, uh, doing completely the opposite, going against nature, if you will, keeping animals in all year long, but yet the animals are producing more milk. It's a bit of a head-scratcher. It is.
3: Um, look... Uh, I suppose, I think, I'm subject to correction of this figure now, MJ, but I think 80% of the dairy cows in the world are in confinement systems. Mm. We're very much at odds. Ourselves in New Zealand are very much at odds as what's the normal way to produce milk. Like the United States, look at the big dairy producers for exporting. of the States, you know, we've looked in the past at Holland and Denmark. You know, um, all of those are, are are high high input, high output um, systems
1: in general. Yeah. You What's know? the in those confinement systems over in the UK? they like health, uh, animal health, say, um, feet, cows' feet. Uh, just more in general, their their health over the course of their period of time. Like how many years are guys getting out of cows over there? Is it a? Is it a? Is it they're
3: a quick system? Out of cows, yeah, it is. Yeah, replacement rate will be much higher. A lot of the cows will only be lasting two and a half to three years. Mm. But like these cows are not unhealthy. That's because of the amount of milk they're giving, uh, rather than health. You know, mm. like to me, like there are only two types of farmers in my book. In my thirty-four years as an advisor, right like, between the UK and here over the years, there's only two types of dairy farmer out there afterwards, MJ, and that's good ones and bad ones. It actually doesn't matter which system you're in, you know. Like the cows I saw on that fifteen hundred and fifty cow herd, now, they were immaculate. Like, they were in cracking condition. Um, what's the breeding you know, like I mean, over?
1: What's the breeding like over there, Mike? Mike? What would you call what, them in comparison to Irish cows?
3: Well, here you would call, like you would call those American Canadian Holstein type cows. You know, they were still big Holstein cows. You know, uh, and that would be the general run of dairying in the UK. You know, but the ones we saw now were very healthy. Like they had, they had loads of space in the house, um, they had a sand base bed. There was only two lines of cubicles either side of the passageway, they had loads of feed space. There was um co scratching um brushes everywhere
4: in the house.
1: Yeah, look like, to be to be given out that sort of milk they have to you know, have to be content and they have to be thriving, there's no question, I I don't think about it. What about the the calf side of things? What's the the beef calf model in the in the UK?
3: They finish a lot of animals indoors again um, in, to bull beef, you know. And and like from our history here, like the the old Halstein, the old Holstein bull calf back in the day would respond to feed, mm. you know. And like we all remember the days back in the back in the eighties, when, you know all the Halstein bullocks at a year and a half would go off on boats to Libya and places like that to be further finished, you know. And in England, they finish them. They put them indoors and finish them. That, uh, that's, that's what happens.
1: You and uh, finally, Mike, I just see in your article here, you say, it's clear from my trip uh, to the UK that we need to quickly agree and put in place our plan for the next 20 years Whoa. for the Irish dairy industry. Uh, i give you 30 seconds. What's the plan for the dairy industry for the, ne- for the next 20 years? Uh, so, Mike, well, what do you reckon?
3: Well, like, w- like we're, we've, in the last 20 years, we've gone ahead of everybody else. But for 20 years' time, definitely the way I see it, lower stocking rates. Less nitrogen, more clover, um, total concentration on carbon to reduce a carbon footprint on every single dairy farm. But in general, the model here is spot on. We just need to tweak it a bit. And you look at it every decade, every 10 years, dairying changes. You know, there's a different emphasis. And the science is behind it here. The research has been done. We've educated farmers. A good advisory system and I've absolutely no fears for us you
1: know very good Mike gonna say many thanks great round up there on that and we'll speak to you again in the program
3: and good to talk to you bye again
1: Uh, Mike Brady there from the Brady Group and we're going to move on on uh, on that exact point we're going on to the Positive Farmers Conference again and uh, we have Mike Murphy on the line hugely interesting man now so I'd advise you to stay tuned Uh, global dairy farmer enterprises all over the world we're going to talk to Mike in just a moment
0: Country Life on Midlands 103 brought to you by W.O.R. Show Burlington Business Park Tillamore your main supplier of New Holland's tractors in the Midlands W.O.R.
1: And you're very welcome back to Country Life here on Midlands 103. And we're going to talk about the Positive Farmers Conference now. Uh, It's taking place 28th, 29th of June in County Cork. It's an event for dairy farmers. And we have Mike Murphy on the line to give us a, a little bit of a rundown on it. Mike, many thanks for taking my call this evening.
4: Thanks very much, MJ.
1: Uh, Mike, you joined us here in the programme could be four years ago now uh, back when uh, everything was up and running and I know the uh, the conference uh, uh, dipped during Covid, same as every uh, event, uh, but you're back now and you're ready to go, but just for our listeners uh, let's give a bit of background to yourself Mike, uh, you're not your average dairy farmer, can you explain to us what your uh, enterprise is all about please
4: Well very quickly MJ will say that um, uh, obviously I started in Ireland, started in Cork, will say that over time actually uh, had a number of farms will that in a, in in, our, in Ireland stretching from Mead West Mead down to uh, Cork Waterford. will say that uh, but uh from the late 1990s, uh, nineties uh, I I've been part of an outfit and um, uh, based originally uh, in New Zealand uh, and uh, the uh, uh, one of the founder members, um, Canterbury Grasslands is the name that can uh, w- we're now on the South Island in New Zealand, Canterbury and uh, Southland, and uh, and also in the Midlands and um, uh, the states, um, in Southwest Missouri, and also up in the Northwest Coast in Oregon. Like in, uh, and the the enterprise has gradually grown. Like it's uh, it's, it's about twenty six thousand cows now, and we'd be. Um, uh, obviously, in New Zealand, we're very grass-oriented, but we would be the most grass-oriented dairy farmers in uh, on the continent of North America, apart from my son, Niall, who said that, who, who, who frankly, is better than us.
1: And um, well, you're, you're you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna praise your own anyway, Mike. I think, aren't you? Um, but uh, all parents would. Um, the system. We we're just talking to Mike Brady here from the Brady Group. He was actually over in the UK last week, and he was talking about the confinement systems up in up in Scotland. And uh, as you say, you've uh, you kind of a mix of both. But you're uh, lots of grassland systems in New Zealand. In in the US, uh, which one is the grass system? Is it Missouri or Oregon where you're grazing ground?
4: Both. Both. Oregon will say that uh, Oregon is as good as growing for growing grass. What if you're back in Ireland? Uh, Oregon is the centre actually of the world grass seed industry. Believe it or not, mm, uh, m- Missouri is um, uh, better prices, cheaper land, everything else like that. But uh, it, it's a much more difficult climate. Not not so much the winter, but uh, summer blazing heat in summer is uh, is difficult, even under irrigation. Will say that uh, grass comes to a full stop. Uh, and you have to be very careful of animals. You know they get heat stressed, so that you, you know, so you have to shelter them and, uh, and water them if you can. But you know, so it's quite quite different to Ireland. Oregon is very similar.
1: And in Oregon, uh, the enterprise, obviously, you know, these are huge, huge, huge enterprises with vast numbers of cows. So to have a grass-based system, you know, farmer in Ireland, 150 cows, and, you know, you have a, maybe a four-acre, three-and-a-half, four-acre paddock, and, you know, you move it around, and it's, it's reasonably straightforward, even when you scale it with an Irish standards. But when you're talking about five, seven, eight hundred thousand cows, how do you, you know, how do you just work a paddock system with that, that number, that volume of cows?
4: Yeah, you probably divide them uh, you know in some cases you divide them into you know f- hordes of five or six hundred each we'll that, mm. uh, but i mean o- other than that it'll work but it could could i just say m j like that uh, i i'm actually a fan like of, of family based uh farming uh, and uh, even though we we're we're a very successful corporate like uh canterbury grasslands uh the, you know that most of the corporates like the big ones like in new Zealand are not are, have not done very well. So I mean, uh, I I I don't see much of a future for corporates of, uh, in Ireland. And when
1: you say I, that, just for the for for our listeners like you, so you're talking about you know huge dairy companies basically coming in uh, and and operating farms as opposed to private individuals.
4: I I I, I actually think like they have no place, uh, uh, and I I actually think also that anybody. Even somebody who's operating at 100 cos, 80 or 100 coes will say, in Ireland, doing a good job, I, I think they've a very, very good future, will say that, uh, you know, if they actually keep their costs down, be very strongly grass-based, we'll say so that. I, I'm a strong fan, uh, you, you know, that uh, in Ireland, we'll say that, uh, I, I mean right at the moment the challenges facing the industry i think they're the strongest i've ever seen uh, in 53 years of dairy farming you know the impact of Brexit, COVID, ukraine will say that uh, you know the uh, supply shocks etc the inflation has kicked off with that uh, high inflation off leading interest rates will be up like and be much higher in a couple of years said that uh, a short staff shortages so that i mean some people are working too hard uh, and w- you know that, um, and they're not actually work-life balance of suffering. And throw on top of that, global warming—you know, uh, carbon, methane, biodiversity, uh, water quality, etc. So there's a lot of challenges uh, facing farmers. So the purpose of the uh, uh, of the conference next week is to lay out, if you like, what makes more sense for farmers going forward. Uh, and uh, the uh, you know the year of um, Go, go back a wee bit in history we'll say the 60s and the 70s uh milk production grew very rapidly then we'll say that you hit quarters 83 and for you know for 30 plus years uh stagnation etc then from 15 to 22 uh you know we've just about doubled but we, we, we would actually suggest quite strongly uh, MJ, uh like that, that, uh, that rapid expansion is now at an end, uh, and that we're better off to actually accept that. And if we don't, a guillotine—like if we keep trying to grow very strongly as an industry—a guillotine, whether it's the EU or the, the government, will 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 actually come crashing down in, in some form now. Whether it's a milk quarter, a cow quarter, a methane quota, i don't know exactly what it will be—but certainly, I think also that uh, you, you know people should concentrate. Pre- I would actually suggest that there's a very, very good future for Irish dairy farmers if they concentrate on low-cost grass-based production and fulfil our potential with we'll with our climate. You know, we can be the lowest-cost dairy farmers in uh, in the EU, and couple that we'll say, with with uh, you know the really good work of our new uh, our new Kerry Gold. Uh, you know, where their uh, the, the Kerry Gold brand is is growing very, very rapidly at at, at very good prices. If, if you know that the the image of Kerrygold clean and green. That w- going forward, we we'll say instead of just talking the talk, we need to walk the walk with we'll So I'd suggest that uh, each and every farmer needs to actually do a number of things on farm we'll say, to support that image. And if we do, the future is very good. So that's the thrust of what the conference is
1: about. Yeah, no, hundred percent, Mike. I'm very well explained there. And you have lots of different sessions over the two days. And and on your point there. Uh, you have a session, and it's what is the right stocking rate. Now, look, you have a lot of experience in this area. Say uh, a farmer isn't overly caught with land, maybe a good-sized farm, 150, 180, 200 acres, uh, but he's on his own, uh, maybe in his in his uh, 40s working on his own. What do you think the right number of cows is for, uh, for an individual, for a, a person, one labour unit? Where do you think it is that you can have a work-life balance, good income, good livelihood, but not kill yourself?
4: Question: Because it depends a wee bit on the system and it depends on the facilities, uh, and um, I think we'll say that um, uh, yeah, it's hard. Uh, yeah, you know, you, you probably could have two people on that unit, and if you do, we'll say that it would be very extremely comfortable. That uh, 150 cows are there about. We'll say that uh, uh, you know, if you're if you're growing 13 or 14 tons of grass per hectare, then I think the stocking rate are two and a half. Well, you don't have to buy a lot of inputs. You know that you you can keep meal at a half ton. You don't have to go buying silage. Uh, you know the cows largely do an awful lot of their own work. Uh, it's a simple system. Uh, uh, the hours. You know, if you have past milk and good good roadways, the uh, good fencing, good water, uh, good um, uh, you know very good cow flow in in terms of the parlour, reasonable yards, et cetera, And yeah, fairly easy handling facilities. but, mm good cash facilities then we'll say that uh, you know I, I'd probably I'd probably do it another way uh, The uh, you know uh, probably dairy farmers should should aim to have systems where they're doing something like a 45 hour week probably not much more than that going forward mm. uh, we we will have a system by the way the, the um, uh, you know in, in terms of uh, you know f- f- people friendly farming uh, and um uh, one of the speakers is from uh, New Zealand, uh, Paul Edwards, and uh, he's talking about uh, milking ten times a week uh, instead of 14 times. Uh, you'll only get half the drop in production that you get, you know, going from twice a day to once a day. Uh, and if you couple that uh, MJ like with them, um, uh, there's going to be a lot of work in the next year or two. With, if you milk once a day, like in the really busy months when you start calving, the first couple of months, you know, when you're really busy, go on to twice a day then for the main production months. Uh, and then once you get out to about August, or the, the, go, on to, go back to once a day. The, 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 there's some evidence that you'll only drop about 5% in production, but by golly, you'll have it. It'll be a hell of a lot more friendly life in terms of wow. having opportunities, to, you know, to go go to a match on Sundays or go to the seaside or go do, do whatever you like, have time with the family, etc., yeah. <laughs>
1: You know, yeah, they're hu- that's hu- hugely interesting though Mike and uh, they're, they're the type of studies that need to be done because really from my overview on it is, it's the labour thing that's going to really catch the dairy farmers going forward uh, there's lots of money to be earned, there's no question about that but you know, if you can't have time to spend it what's what's the point? Uh, Mike, I'm just out of time on that, uh, I could talk to you for a, a long long time but I'm going to say many thanks for joining me on the programme, speaking about the Positive uh, Farmers Conference, it's on 28th, 29th to June, uh, tickets are available if you google uh, Positive Farmers Conference. Mike, many thanks for joining me, we speak to get on the programme.
4: Thanks very much, MJ. All the best.
1: Uh, Mike Murphy there and as I said uh, if you Google Positive Farmers Conference a lot to be learned there isn't that mad interesting what uh, Mike was saying about uh, dropping down to once a day at certain times of the year and only a decrease in production of 5% wow uh, Mike Brady from the Brady Group was speaking to us as well on the same page about grass based systems and being efficient and uh, it's kind of look seems, seems to be that the dairy industry is 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 on the same page in relation to what it's going to be like going forward Paul O'Brien from the IFA spoke to us earlier the problem with the line there but uh, it's about that environment target uh, where are we going to be? 22% drop or 30% drop? We're hoping for 22. And uh, Tim Farrell from the ICSA spoke to us at the start about the fodder support scheme and acres. Now, that's it for this evening. I'll be back with you this time next week. Show is repeated Sunday morning at 7 a.m. And uh, I will say to you good night and God bless.